This morning, I'd like to start by asking a question. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you just felt that you were way over your head? Meaning by the measurement of who you know yourself to be when you gauge the situation around you and you look at the scenario and the environment that you find yourself in, you say, I am so unqualified to be here right now that I definitely do not have what it takes to be in this situation or to be taking part of this event. I think if most of us were to be transparent and honest, we would all be able to say, yes, we do have those moments in our lives. And if I'm going to be transparent, I'm going to share one of those moments in my life. And it came when I was in college and I tried out for the volleyball team. I'm kind of tall. I'm kind of, you know, I I look the athletic part where everybody hates me because I just keep eating food and it doesn't go anywhere, right? Um, And I'm pretty nimble on my feet. And I remember I I tried out thinking, hey, this is going to be great. I got height. I'm athletic. I'm energetic. I can do this. So I go to the tryouts and I set my bag down and they're setting the things up and, you know, I'm starting like the stretch and I'll pretend to look all cool and like I know exactly what I'm doing. And all of a sudden the doors of the gym open and in comes these five, six guys in like this billowing fog, right? And they just look the epitome of volleyball players. Like they've been playing since they were two, right? They come in like the bags, just like the grimaces on their face and they set their bags down on the bleachers and they're like stretching each other and they look over and I'm here like, (laughs) right? It's like, yeah, work out those fingers, you know, kind of stretching it there. And I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. Like this is not going to end well for anybody. So I'm sitting there and I'm stretching and they go up and they're doing their tryouts. And I'm just watching in both a sense of amazement and pure disgust at what I see happening in front of me, right? It's just how, like what they're doing is physically, they're like flying through the air like gazelles. And it's just insane. I remember one of them, it's probably Six five, six six, six seven, somewhere in there, 170, 180 pounds, look the part. He's had a, a great trial. And his very last thing, he's going up to attack the ball. So he's running up and he's in midair, just glazing. It's like slow motion watching him fly through the air. And as he's in midair, about to approach the net to hit, I kid you not, he turns at me, looks, and does this. And then turns back around and just smacks this ball to the point where I felt that the ball was even cowering in fear from this man, right? And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, this is, this is not going to happen anything. So I get up and I have a decent successful tryout and I make the first string of cuts and we go into our second string of tryouts and they pair us up one-on-one to see how we play and interact with each other. And lo and behold, guess who I happen to get paired up with? but Mr. Volleyball Slayer himself, right? The killer of volleyballs. And I have the ball and I'm supposed to be attacking on the neck and he's supposed to be blocking me. So I remember I'm kind of like shaking there, but trying to like hold my composure because I know I'm being watched and figuring out what to do. So I throw up the ball and I'm running and I'm going all force at it. But instead of looking at the ball, and watching my footing, I'm more concerned with him and what he's doing. And I just look over and I see him with his grin, like approaching the net, kind of like if you've ever seen Happy Gilmore, the really tall guy that chases Shooter on the green, right? Like, kind of look going on. So he's just running at the net and I'm sitting there watching him completely oblivious to what I'm supposed to be doing. But nevertheless, I still jump and I'm still watching him. Don't even have a clue where the ball is at this point in time. My hand goes back and I just do one of these things right? Just close your eyes and you swing and hope that you hit something. Now, I miss the ball. I miss his face, luckily, because that would have been horribly. Miss the net entirely. Actually, my hand misses the net, but I don't miss the net. You see, I was such a force and such a panic that I ran, hit the net, bounced off, and fell back on my back. And I remember just sitting there on the floor, kind of quietly masking my pain, hearing people giggle around me, thinking, 
A, I'm dead, and B, I definitely don't have what it takes to be in this situation right now. And I think that most of us, we can relate with our own experiences to something like this story, where you look around you and you see a situation, you say, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to keep going at it. I'm going to fake it until I make it. Because this is what our society and our world has told us to do. If you want to be successful, you need to do whatever it takes, even if it means faking it in order to get it accomplished. And the sad thing is, I think a lot of us, if we're truly being transparent and honest, we approach our relationship with Jesus Christ in the same way, where we fake it until we make it. We think, oh my gosh, it's Sunday morning. I've got to go to church. Oh my gosh, it's, you know, I got to go to a C group. I've got to do all of these things. So you grab your Bible, you wear your Sunday best, you go to church, you speak a completely different lingo. And then as soon as you're away from the confines of this place, as soon as you're out from the surrounding of those people, you become someone else. You would, if I may say, you take off the Christian facade and become who you naturally are. We see Christ never intended for us to live our lives in this manner. And I think as we just come to the end of this year and we're getting ready to launch into the new year, that there is a critical position that Christ wants us all to be aware of. And it's a critical position because one path leads us straight to death and the other path leads us straight to the feet of Jesus Christ. And the difficult part is that as a pastor, sometimes the line in between the two, it's blurry and it can be hard to understand which way to go. And so this morning, I want to look at a passage in Scripture that's going to kind of help us set the stage for what's really going on. And it comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7, and we're going to begin there in just a moment. But before we do, I kind of want to set the stage for what exactly is happening. See, Jesus had been preaching and teaching in Galilee. He had been performing miracles. He healed a paralytic. He had raised a woman's dead son. He had just been doing event after event and teaching people, and the common people were coming in droves just to see him just to relate to him, just to be near him so they maybe be able to experience some of his power. But there was a group of people called the Pharisees who they saw what Jesus were do, was doing and being very traditional and very in the law and very, you know, focusing on these things. They saw what Jesus was doing and had a couple questions. In fact, some of the very things that he was doing ruffled their feathers so they came together and they said, well, what are we supposed to do with this man? Should we try to trap him? Should we try to cleverly deceive something to trick him up on his words to prove he's not who he says he is? Should we arrest him? Should we try to have him killed? Should we, what should we do? So they came up with a plan and said, you know what, well, let's just get together with him. Let's just create a scenario which he can come and we can kind of look him up and down and find out what this man is really all about. Because once we know what he's really all about, then maybe we can take an appropriate action. And so they devised, well, let's invite him to a dinner. And so one of the Pharisees by the name of Simon, who we'll find out is the Pharisee a little bit later in the scripture, he's going to send out an invitation to get Jesus to come to his house in order that they may be able to ask him some questions to find out if he truly is who he says he is. So picking up in our scripture in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says this. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, before we go further, I need to set the stage one more time because this dinner scene is very different than the dinner scenes that we have today. See, our dinner scenes today insist of us pulling out our phones and texting somebody, hey, let's go get some food, right? And then you meet up at In-N-Out and you devour your four by four and your animal fries and your shake. Maybe say three, four words, get back in your cars and go your separate ways. Or maybe you have all the family together and you share in this conversation, but it only happens in the confines of 
parties or holiday events. And it's even in those times that you don't really want to talk to them either, but you have to because it's formality, right? And so either way, we have these situations and dinners today where it's abrupt, it's quick, it's fast. But culturally, that's not how they happened back then. You see, back then, the dinner settings were very low. There were no real chairs. There were no high tables. It was a very low, intimate, private setting. And the invited guests, what would happen is they would sit around this table. So the person who was hosting the party, they would give invites to the people who would be sitting at this table. And they would come and they would all gather together and the people of the community or the town, they would know what's going on. Everybody around this house would know that some event was happening. And so the guests would come and when they sat at the table, they would kind of sit down with either their legs kind of out or out to the side with their bodies leaning in resting on the table. And it was a scene of intimacy. They were all close together sharing this meal with all their feet out like spokes on a bicycle wheel. And this is the scene that Simon is creating. He's called Jesus and he's got some other invited guests and they're all sitting around the table and Simon's just kind of interacting with some of them. But there's another part of this that we need to be aware of. You see, in these houses are these little windows or these archways or doorways into the courtyards and into the surrounding areas. And in these windows and doorways, people in the community were allowed to come and stand and watch this event unfold. They could stand and listen in on these conversations and hear what was going on. Much different than our dinner parties today, right? Can you imagine having your Christmas dinner with your relatives and all the neighbors on your street just standing, staring in your window, like in your hallways listening? That would be terrifyingly creepy, right? So these people would be all around these windows just kind of peering in, watching, and listening in on what's happening. But even these people, more often than not, were kind of ranked by their qualification, where the people who were closest to the windows were the ones most qualified to be there. They knew the homeowner. They knew the invited guests. They knew about the conversation. Something was going on that they had a part of. And so they would be closest to the windows and then behind them progressively, the next person after next person after next person would be just more and more messed up. To where the person at the very end would be like, Jesus who? It's like when you see a car accident on the freeway and you're like, oh, you can't help but look, right? Same kind of mentality here. And this is the scene that Simon is setting up. He's got everybody together. He's got Jesus sitting down and he's called all these people. They're all watching the scene unfold. And it's a very interesting scene as we see that Simon is building and creating. And now I think that when Simon invited Jesus to come to dinner, and this is my thought and what I hope to prove over the next couple of minutes, is that Simon is setting himself up for the ultimate selfie. Now, if you don't know what a selfie is, a selfie is when you take your phone or a camera and you take a picture of yourself. Most of us in this room are probably guilty of that at one point or another. Or even if you don't take a picture, they now have a little stick that you put it on that you can take a picture of yourself because we're even more lazy. Um, but whatever it is, we as a generation, especially you youth, have become the masters of the selfie. And let me tell you why you're the masters of the selfie, because you've learned how to best manipulate the environment that exists around you. Ladies, for instance, for some reason, your selfies, nine times out of 10, always take place in the bathroom right? You're in the bathroom, you've put your makeup on, you've washed the mirror, put everything away, cleared it all off, and then you stand back and you're like, duck face, right? And you're like, you have that little hip flare and you got the duck face, and you're like, no, no, that doesn't look good. And so you take four or five of them and you're unpleased. So you call a friend or a sister who comes in the bathroom, is like, fine, I'll take your selfies for you, right? And they're taking pictures like glamour shots and you're just swiping through like, these are terrible. Have you ever used an iPhone? Are you a photographer? Like, what is this? Right? Until you find one that you like. 
until you find one that you feel best represents you. However, it's just a counterfeit because there's no real reality to that picture. You're making yourself look best in a manufactured reality around you. Guys, you're not off the hook either. Guys, your perfect selfie spot is in the gym, right? You've just been pumping iron, you've been lifting weights and you're just feeling ripped and you put the weights down and you're starting to glisten a little bit like Edward from Twilight, but less vampire or pale or just creepy, right? So you go into the corner that looks not like a gym and you take your picture and you like hashtag it like, welcome to the gun show, right? Or like hashtag no filter needed versus the girls are like hashtag no makeup needed, right? Hashtag just woke up, it's okay. Um, whatever it may be. But either way, when we take these selfies, we are manipulating the reality that exists around us. We are doing our best to make ourselves look good in a situation that doesn't even exist. And then we post it and it gets a few likes, but at the very end of the day, we know that it's all counterfeit, that it's all fake. And this is the exact same thing that I think Simon is doing here. You see, he's called Jesus in and he's like, look, I got Jesus here. Jesus is at my house. I invited him and now he's in my presence. Let me open the windows and open the hallways and everybody come and see that Jesus came to my house. And you see, I think that Simon, for Simon, the word selfie and the word self has never rang more true because this experience, this dinner setting, it's not about Jesus. It's not about the other invited guests. It's not about the food. It's all about himself. It's all about how good he looks while being in the presence of the Savior. And folks, I think that's how a lot of us treat our religion. You see, we go in and we define our religion as fine. I want you to write this down because I think it's so important. We define religion as how good you make yourself look with God when other people are looking. Meaning when you're in the confines of church, or you're in your C group or you're in a meeting, you're going to make yourself look like you're just buddy and buddy with God. But when those people leave, when you're all by yourself, that scene completely disappears. Where you've manufactured your reality to make yourself look the best possible in a situation that doesn't exist. We see God never intended our religion to look like this. God's definition, if I were to phrase it, would be something like this. I want you to write this down as well. Having an authentic relationship with God, even when people are not looking. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in our definition where I've got to look good and when God is, or when people are gone and I don't feel God's present, I'm going to become somebody completely different? Or are you living your life like God is always present and that you're always trying to live the life of a Christian? See, Simon didn't do that. Simon, in this moment, it was all about himself. And this is how I know it. Let's continue reading on in verse 37. It says, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them and poured the perfume on them. And I like the NASB because the NASB says that she's just weeping and weeping. It's like Niagara Falls from her eyes, right? It's just coming down and she's wiping it up with her hair. It's just this continual action. Let's continue on in verse 39. It says this, When the Pharisee, which is Simon, who had invited him saw this, him being Jesus, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, Simon is actively engaged in this self-portrait with Jesus in the blurred background when someone comes and photobombs his image. And I'm not trying to be coy here, but none of us like a photobomber, right? 
Because a photobomber is somebody who ruins the manipulated scene that you have created. Has every bit that you've set up, everything that you've tried to do, they're challenging it and they're coming in and they're messing it up. Nobody likes a photobomber. And for Simon, this ticks him off. This gets him riled up because in this moment, it's all about himself. It's him in the foreground, Jesus in the blurred background. It's all about him. And this is how I feel a lot of us approach our religion and our relationship with Christ this year, where it's about how good we look with Christ in the blurred background of our lives. But for this woman, she's going to present a different picture. But this is the dinner that Simon has created. And it's proven because when this woman comes in and photobombs this, Simon, he responds, he says, how dare this woman? Can you believe what this woman is doing? No, Simon should have said, praise the Lord. This woman is having an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's set another place setting for her because she deserves to be here. Let's invite her in as an invited guest because she is experiencing God in an all new way. Simon didn't do that. You see, in Simon's heart, he had already ruled out this woman. He had already outcast her and considered her dirty, filthy, a sinner that he wanted nothing to do with. And see, for me, this tells me that Simon was not in Christ. Simon was the furthest thing from Christ. He carried the title. He had the authority of a Pharisee. The people knew him as this high leader and teacher of things concerning God. But when push comes to shove in his heart, it was something completely different. He didn't have the reality that exists. He determined that this lady was just messed up and by so determines that Christ is not who he says he is. And so Simon puts Christ in this little box. In fact, he like draws a line in the sand and says, God, when I invited you to this dinner, we were equals. We were equal in the same playing field. You're in this holy huddle with me. And by our connectivity of our fellowship, we were gonna share in some great things. But now that you've allowed this woman to come in, now that you've allowed this woman to touch you, I don't even know who you are anymore. So I'm gonna put you on that side of the line and group you in with the sinners, with the filthy, with the dirty. And Simon takes the crown of glory off of Jesus' head. And I wonder how many times we find ourselves in situations where we feel we're out of control or we're over our head, where we find ourselves in an environment that we don't know how we got there or how we're gonna get out of there. But when we're in this moment, we say, I don't know who God is anymore. And so what we do is we push him away and we remove his power and say, God, I'm not gonna give it back to you until you prove to me that you're worthy. And this is exactly what Simon is doing here. He's now pushed Jesus away and saying, you are no longer worthy of the title and the crown of glory. And I'm gonna take it. And Simon puts himself up on this pedestal in front of everybody else to see. See, there's real danger in that, folks. Simon should have said, honor the woman who is pursuing Christ. And you know what? Yeah, she didn't deserve to be there. She was an outcast. She was excommunicated. People gossiped about her. People hated her. But still, she came to Jesus. You know why she came to Jesus? A very important fundamental we all need to know, and I want you to write this down, and it's this. Jesus is a defender of those who have no defense. You see, this woman knew that she was hated in this community. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. Nobody would defend her or even look at her. But yet she knew if she could just get close enough to Jesus that she would find healing in his presence, that she would find defense in his presence for the first time in her life. So knowing who Jesus was and all that he had to offer, she came humbly before him despite knowing the judgmental and hatred eyes that she must have felt as she was pushing her way through the crowd from the very back of the room. 
With Simon, he still takes all the glory off Jesus Christ and he doesn't like the scenario that he finds himself in. And so he's got to manufacture this or find some way to do this. But this woman, she believed and she trusted in Christ to provide for everything in her life. And so she acted upon it. And the real question that we have to ask ourselves, it comes straight from this woman. Do you want to be found in Christ or just by his side? And I want you to write this down. Because Simon, all he wanted to do was just to be near enough to Jesus to have him in the picture. He just wanted to be near enough to check in for attendance, but still actually miss out on Jesus. But this woman, she comes and falls at his feet, is just crying and pouring out because she wanted to be in him and not just by him. And so that same question we have to ask ourselves when we go into this new year, we start to say, do we have an authentic relationship? Are we just trying to make shift the situation around us to make it look like we're by Jesus? Or are we actually living a life that is in Jesus Christ? That's the difference between Simon and this woman. But let's see how Jesus responds, picking up in verse 40 to this situation. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And I would have loved to have been there to find out exactly how Jesus said this. Was it kind of like that, your mom's voice when you know you're in trouble? Like, Simon, come here, we need to talk about something. Or was it more of a abrupt, frustrated, angry tone? Because this person who was supposed to be representing all things Jesus, the teaching, the law, everything with a reputation in his community, the way that he was treating and acting with this woman in the presence of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus like, Simon, come here. We need to have a talk right now before you say anything else to correct him. I would have loved to have been there. But what Jesus is doing is Jesus is trying to bring Simon off of his high pedestal and back down to reality to understand what truly is going on. And we see this in the next couple of verses. Verse 41 says this, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Here is Simon, who thinks he's all that, right? He's all up, and Jesus is trying to tell him this parable. And a denarii is pretty much a day's wage. So one man owed a year and a half plus worth of debt. Another man owed 50 days worth of debt. And the master who owned the debt knew that neither of them could pay it, so he forgave both of them their entire debts. And so Jesus comes to Simon and says, Simon, who do you think is going to love the master more? Simon says, well, the one who has more zeros on their debt, of course. Which is where Jesus pat him on the back and so like, man, it's sure a good thing you're smarter than you look right now, right? But this is the situation that we see Jesus is encountering. And this is how I know that Jesus is all calm and collect because he gives this Pharisee, this highly elevated guy, an elementary parable to understand. It's like, Simon, check this out. You're like, really? Come on, let's figure this out. So he continues on and let's continue. So during this whole time, we keep having this encounter between Jesus and Simon, but we can't forget about this woman. This woman has been crying nonstop at Jesus' feet this whole entire time. And we know that by this next verse. It says, Then he, being Jesus, turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and she has wiped them with her hair. He says, Simon, teacher of all things concerning me, master of everything around you, do you see the brokenness that exists around you? 
Are you so busy focusing on yourself that you're missing the very presence of God near you? Simon's completely oblivious to all this. He says, do you see this woman and the brokenness that she is? Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't even greet me. I'm your invited, honored, esteemed guest, and you never once even greeted me when I came in your house. But this woman, she's been kissing me ever since I came in. And contextually, a kiss was a brotherly welcome. She's welcoming. He's like, she's not just kissing me. She's like making out with my feet. And you haven't even said hello. What the heck's going on? And so he's trying to put this all into play. And this woman, as she approaches the Savior, she knows she's broken. She knows she needs saving. She needs help. And so she brings her best. She brings her all to lay before Jesus Christ. And it says she brings an alabaster jar full of perfume. And this most likely was like a year's worth of salary in this perfume. It was very expensive. And typically perfume was never poured on the feet. It was used for the head. But this woman, she comes in and she just pours this perfume, the entire thing on his feet. Simon didn't even anoint his head or pour oil or olive oil, the cheapest substitute upon Jesus. He did nothing to recognize the presence of Jesus in his house because he was more concerned about himself than who was in his presence and what was happening around him. But this woman who has this jar, and she's got this jar most likely because of her profession. See, she was a prostitute, and either it was given to her maybe as a gift from a wealthy client, or maybe she had saved up all year long to buy this perfume to mask the shame that she felt in her everyday life. That this was the only thing that she had in her entire life that she considered to be good. It made her feel good. And yet knowing the power and what this meant to her, she still comes and she pours it all on the feet of Jesus Christ because she knows that nothing she has is worth more than being found in Christ. It's so important that we see that. And it's the question I have to ask you is where do you find yourself in the story? Do you find yourself as Simon who has spent so much time preparing the scenario that you completely missed out on your relationship with Jesus Christ? That you don't have an authentic and deep connection with him, just a superficial one? Or do you find yourself more like this woman who know that you're broken, that you've got some things that are tough to deal with? You've got fears, you've got objections, you've got worries, you've got doubts, all these things, but yet you still come and bring them to the feet of Christ because you know only he can provide. Only he can take them away. You see, this woman probably thought as she was approaching Jesus, Jesus wants nothing to do with me. I am the least of these. There's no way Jesus would accept or want what I have to offer. But Jesus gladly accepts her. He doesn't just gladly accept her and take her in and recognize her. The next verse is so key as we bring this kind of to a close here. The next verse, he says this, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You see, if you come and bring your all before the Lord, he's going to say, I got this. Your sins are forgiven. Go fresh, go anew from this place. That's what it truly means to be found in Christ, not just by his side. 
And you see, for this woman, her actions were really reactions because Christ first pursued her. And that should be our action. I want you to write this down as my last point as well, is that our actions should be reactions because Christ first went after you. Christ has already paid the ultimate sacrifice to buy every worry, every insecurity, every pain, every suffering, everything that you're dealing with in your life. He's already paid for it. And so naturally, our response should be like this woman, that our gut instinct, our gut reaction is to bring it all to the feet of Christ and lay it down and say, God, I'm done. God, I don't want to deal with this baggage, with this stuff anymore. All I want is you in my life. Because you can provide. You can give me that healing that I so desperately need. So the question is, what is it that you're holding on to this morning, this year, this month, this week? What is it that you're so afraid of to give to God because you don't think he's going to accept it, that he's going to want it? You need to give it to God because I guarantee you he's going to do exactly what he did for this woman if you're willing to come to his presence. He will accept you in and say your sins have been forgiven. I don't know about you, but as I go into this new year, that's the path that I want to be on. I want to truly break free from this superficial. My actions should be reactions. But you know what my actions are? My actions are typically to ask for forgiveness because I do cheap and easy well. And I need to ask for forgiveness and say, God, I have made this superficial reality around me. But I truly want an authentic encounter with you. And I will do whatever it takes to get that. Because in you, there's trust. And you, there's hope. And you, there's life that I can get nowhere else in my life. But you've got to be willing to come to the feet of Jesus Christ and give him your all. Are you willing to do that in this new year? That should be our challenge. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. God, we are so grateful for just the countless provisions that you give to us each and every day. God, we are so honored to be in your presence, God. We don't want to be just by you any longer. We pray that you convict our hearts, that we can open our eyes to see how much we truly need you. And that no matter what it is that we feel that you don't want, no matter what that deep part of our life is that we're afraid to give to you, God, give us assurance and confidence that you will gladly take it, God, that you've already taken it by what you have done for us. And that our reactions should be to come and to fall at your feet and give you our all, to give you our best. God, allow our encounters with you this year to be authentic, not superficial, not made up where it's all about us, but where it's all about you, Jesus. We love you, God. We give you this in your holy name. Amen.